I think every business owner at some point has thought to themselves, am I an entrepreneur or am I just unemployed? Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just all-around amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Jen Lewis, the founder of Purse and Clutch. Jen is so hilarious, and we had the best conversation. She shared some of her real struggles when it came to starting an ethical fashion business and what those early days looked like for her. But she also shared why working in this space matters and why she is passionate about it and lifting up other ethical business owners. I know you're going to love Jen. So now on to the episode. Hey, Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. So this is your first time as a podcast guest, you were telling me. It is. And I am so excited. I really do listen to podcasts almost all the time. I love it. I should take a break, like just go for a walk without like having something in my ears, like some story being told or some great interview. So I'm super excited to be on this side of things. No, I think it's great. What are I want? I'm always curious to know what are some of your favorite podcasts? What do you love to listen to? Oh man, so many. Um, I really like Note to Self. Oh, I've never heard uh, of that. The tech show about being human. Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. It like gets into like privacy without scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, it's like a really good combination of the two. Um, I also really like any like economic podcast, which I'm sure is like super dorky, but like No, um, I think that's I think that's cool. Planet Money and Freakonomics, I'm a big fan I of. I love There's Freakonomics. Multiple- data that matters. Yes. It's like very, very scientific. Um, what's the, oh, the, the one I just got into recently is called the good life project. Man, and it's just, I've not heard of these hosts with like the most soothing voice. And he just interviews guests with his like calm demeanor and talks about having a good life. It's just like really great reminders. I, I do love people with, with soothing voice, <laughs> voices. <laughs> I, do. I had a guest on the show um, back in August, um, Yomi Abiola, and I literally wanted to just talk to her forever because her voice was so soothing. I was like, wow. I was like, can you just please it. keep talking because I love your voice. But I, I'd like, you don't want to say that to somebody because you want to sound creepy, but... But that's really what you want. It's really, yeah. Yeah. I no, I I also listen to a lot of podcasts, obviously, because I mean, I, I mean, I love podcasts in general, but I'm always interested to know, you know, what podcasts people really like and what they listen to and all that kind of stuff. So what are some of your favorites? Oh, gosh. Um, well, the ones that I listen to regularly. So I listen to The Daily, which is the New York Times. Oh, well, cool. it's a daily podcast. Um, and I like that one because it is – I also – I listen on speed and a half, which some people think I'm weird. I can't listen at two times. Like, I can't understand what they're saying at two times. Um, my husband can. He doesn't like to listen wow. to it that way, but he can understand it. Um, but I listen on t- speed and a half. So I'm able to get through it really quickly. So the daily is, like, usually a 15 to 20-minute podcast that's put out every morning by the New York Times. And it's it's basically just a snippet of, like, what do you need to know in the news today? Yeah. And it's oh, it's good. And, and honestly, like, I tell people, even though, you know, it's, you know, the New York Times, so people think, like, oh, is it liberal leaning or whatever. And I, honestly, I think it's a really good 
this is just mm. my insight. I think it's a really good podcast that gives just like, here's the facts, here's the news, mm-hmm. and then you come yeah. to your own conclusion. Like it doesn't, I don't really feel like it has a lot of political opinion, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like it's just kind of like, totally, here, here's totally. The news. That's really refreshing these days too. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I love that one. Um, I also, I love the happy hour with Jamie Ivey. Mm-hmm. I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, and then if you're listening and you're a, um, UNC North Carolina Tar Heel fan, (laughs) I love the Carolina Insider podcast. And (laughs) like, honestly, if you're a Carolina fan in any way, shape or form, you would love the Carolina Insider podcast. It's hilarious. Um, anyway, so those are my like three, they're three very different podcasts. Like one's about sports and and one's about like being life and then one's the daily news. So I listen lots. Anyway. Here we are just rambling. But honestly, this is what I love because this I love when it's just like you and I were sitting down for a Diet Coke or if you drink coffee, you can have coffee. I don't drink coffee. So, um, yeah, and we're just getting to know each other. So with that being said, for those that are listening and are like, who is Jen? Jen, it's your turn to give us the Jen 101. So tell us your story. Tell us what you do, where you're from all the facts and everything that led you to um, starting Person Clutch. And then also give us the elevator pitch for what Person Clutch is. Yeah, totally. This is when I wish I had like a super linear, like (laughs) very logical career path because (laughs) Um, because I don't. And most entrepreneurs don't, I think. (laughs) I know like the random snippets of things. Um, so I grew up uh, in a suburb of Dallas, Texas. Um, I currently live in Austin. Um, I, which I love, I, um, went to school in Northwest Arkansas and I got my undergrad degree in chemistry, um, because I thought it would be a challenge and yeah. I like a good challenge. And I actually really, really enjoyed the subject matter and thinking analytically. Yeah. So didn't know what I was going to do with that, but knew I somehow wanted to do something that connected needs and resources. And I really like to find really efficient ways of doing things. Um, so I ended up teaching high school chemistry at a bi- bilingual school in Honduras for a year. Wait, did um, you realize Wait, did that, you have a background in chemistry? Did I miss that? <laughs> um, just the chemistry degree. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. All right. So I was like, but definitely I was like, Wait a second. no background in teaching. That was the part that was like, oh, teaching's really hard. Yeah. Like I am so, so, so impressed with like any and all teachers. I have a, a totally new um um appreciation of the work that they do and yeah. found pretty early on that that was not that was not my gifting um but really enjoyed Central America and just fell in love with Honduras wanted to find a way that I could stay there um which is funny like 10 years later and I'm you know still in the states but yeah. um, I found ways to stay involved yeah sure. so um so did that for a year tried to figure out what to do next and thought maybe business was a more practical way to um to connect needs and resources mm-hmm. in Central America. And so went back to the same school to John Brown University in Arkansas and got my master's in leadership and ethics. Wow. Um, and to go from chemistry, which everything is like black and white to ethics where nothing is. And yeah. Spectrum was like mind blowing to me. And I feel like I learned a ton, um, learned a ton with that. Graduated moved to Austin and um, started working at a nonprofit where we would garden in people's backyards to create jobs for the homeless. 
And then we would sell part of the produce at the farmer's market as a way to kind of make it a sustainable job. And I loved the idea of a sustainable job as a way to really support people who had really limited opportunities. So that kind of led me to other nonprofits in Austin and seeing what people were doing and what community development looked like and really just researching because that's what I like to do. (laughs) Researching and seeing what could that look like in in a developing country or in a low income country. So one of my best friends from grad school had um, had helped start a company over in India that was doing block printing. And she would just tell me really cool stories of the of the change that would happen when someone was offered a job and how that would change both like the woman's life and the entire community. And mm-hmm. I was like, that, that's what I want to do. I want to be involved in whatever that is. Yeah. So I basically asked her, like, how can I be involved? And she, uh, she was like, well, you could sell stuff online. This is about six years ago. And I was like, oh, okay. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so again, did a ton of research while they were making bags and, um, and started Person Clutch by accident. And from there, started working with other artisan groups. Um, and then this past year, we started working directly with artisan groups doing our own brand and our own label. Wow. Um, so we work with a group in Ethiopia that does all of our leather goods. And then we oversee production of all of um, all of the different steps of the process in Guatemala. So starting from raw cotton all the way to a finished product. Um, and that's really the goal of Person Clutch is to be able to continue to offer long-term employment opportunities for people with, with super limited opportunities, um, normally. That is amazing. Now I have to ask who was, would we know the brand that, of the, that your friend started in India? Oh yeah. I told, I bet you would join. Oh, it's really? Yeah. They do gorgeous, Um, gorgeous prints. It was in about six years ago. It was like the first time I'd ever seen someone who took kind of the traditional model mm-hmm. of, you know, of block printing and then, you know, did really, you know, modern designs and up and coming prints. And I just thought like business wise, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, they and are amazing. My, my current yeah. wallet is actually a join wallet. And I, one of my, I, actually I have yeah. two join, three join bags. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love that company. Their products are amazing yeah. and gorgeous and beautiful. So that is, re- that's really cool that you, that you, so you guys went to grad school together, you said. Um, yeah. So her name is, uh, Ricky Marler. So yeah. she wasn't the founder, but she was kind of one of the like number one, number two employees and, and did marketing over there and got to really, you know, learn the ins and outs through her experience of living in India and living vicariously through her and yeah. finding ways to support her. Cause yeah, they're doing really, really good work at join. That's so awesome. So tell me about what did it look like in the beginning and, and honestly, how did, and I know you kind of said that it was sort of haphazard and it just sort of like <laughs> you sort of accidentally fell on this business. Um, what did that look like in the beginning? And when, when was the day that you knew, like, I, I think this is what I, this is what I want to do for my business. And, and what did that look like in that early stage? Yeah. So at the early stage, right after I had stopped working for the nonprofit, um, with where we're working with the homeless, um, I started tutoring chemistry at some local kind of, um, low income schools, um, just to kind of figure out what person collection was going to be and if it was going to be something. And, um, so kind of, kind of juggled both for about three, three, four years before I um, started doing person clutch full time. Mm -hmm. And even then, I don't think I knew 
that that was, that it was a thing. Um, I, you know, I feel like I struggled with like, am I unemployed or am I an entrepreneur? Like (laughs) it's it's like a weird fine line. Like I'm working really hard and I'm not making a lot of money. Like how do I value, you know, how do I determine, you know, what is success and identity and these things that are typically wrapped up in, in, in finances, but then also because I do have a background in business, like knowing that I wanted to create a business that was going to last long term and knowing that we just weren't there yet. So I think probably it wasn't until we launched our own collections when I think Person Clutch really felt like a, like a business to me and that mm-hmm. I was, I was running a business and I, um, wanted to, to do this for as long, as long as I could. Yeah. So when you, when you first started it, did you, just sort of envision that you were going to kind of buy some products at wholesale and sell them on your own website or, you know, was it just, you were just looking to kind of get involved in some way, shape or form? Like how did you actually acquire the goods to begin with? You were you selling them out of the back of your car? <laughs> I mean, kind of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there's, there's definitely an element of that. Yeah. I mean, I think I mean, I just, it's funny, I'm not much of a shopper. And so I don't think I knew the difference between a brand and a boutique. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know that what I was doing was like curating a boutique that was online based. Um, it, which is funny now, like looking back, like it wasn't even that long ago, but you know, when you're new, when you're new to something and you're figuring it out, sometimes you, you see things in different ways. So really again, like six, five or six years ago, there really weren't a lot of fair trade or ethical fashion brands. And the ones that, that were there were still working on their designs, which, you know, now that we're on the production side, I totally understand the time and the effort and the energy that, that goes into making designs when you're in slow fashion, things just take a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And so as they were kind of working on designs, I think that in the beginning, there really was a need for this kind of curation of like, like here's this very specific style. Like for me, I wear a lot of solids, Um, I want, you know, a simple handbag that's going to match everything. And at the time, most ethically made handbags were, were a brighter print or weren't necessarily my style. And so it was really just me curating things that I felt like, um, really spoke to a broader audience so that hopefully more and more people could learn like, oh, I can shop fair trade. Like I can actually make a difference with, with what I'm purchasing. It doesn't have to just be a bag that, or an item or a scarf that I put in my closet and I feel good about buying, but I didn't really, it's not really my style. So about six years ago, that was kind of where I feel like the industry was. It's still such a new, a new thing. Um, and the more I worked with different groups, so probably before we launched our own collection, we were probably working consistently with maybe 15 different groups that Mm -hmm. we were curating from. And I really got to see like what was working and what wasn't in terms of community development. And I, I, I just loved that part. I mean, that was the part that was really fascinating to me. Like, how do you choose how much you're going to pay your workers or when you're going to do a give back model or when you're going to provide clean water and when you're not, and when does that help? And when does that hurt? And really just diving into the different cultures and realizing that I wanted to be able to, to, to get more into that and to yeah. hopefully have a, a bigger impact. So the group out of Ethiopia, we connected with <laughs> through a super random email. Um, the founder who is from Ethiopia was in Austin for a wedding. I think she was a bridesmaid. Wow. She like, sent me a quick email and said like, I'm going to be in, in the United States this weekend. Would you like to get coffee? And I was like, 
it's a big country. Like, what what part of the United States? She was like, oh, yeah, I'll be in Austin. So we grabbed coffee, and she was basically, it was like everything that she said that she needed was what we could offer, and yeah. everything that she could offer was what we needed. So wow. she wanted to work with small batches. Um, she wanted to do, you know, custom designs so that she could grow really slowly the men and women that she was working with. Um, while she kind of figured out what her what her impact was going to look like. So immediately we we're like, yes, like we'd love to work with you. Um, and then I got to go to, to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia about, let's see, last November and wow. like look at everything and meet the artisans and, and kind of see the good work that they're doing. So it was just a really serendipitous email um, yeah. <laughs> that has ended up being a really amazing connection. And I feel like we both, we it's a really symbiotic relationship. Um, then one of the artisan groups that we had been working with was called one loom mm -hmm. and we, they were making clutches that we were selling. And I got to know the, um, the founder, Angela, who's like amazing and creative and has thousands of ideas. And I am the like spreadsheet, like, how can we plan this out and make this efficient person? And so we ended up just really clicking and having some really good conversations and, I feel like I kind of kept saying like, Hey, if you, if you need me to help with operations, like I'm happy to help because I love this stuff. Yeah. Um, and she called one day and was like, Hey Jen, would you like to merge? And would you like to take over operations of one loom? And like, without missing a beat, I was like, absolutely. I would. She was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can think about it. Like you can talk about it. You can like, you know, figure out what you want. And I was like, no, this makes so much sense. Um, and so really we ended up kind of acquiring is too businessy of a term, but really like, yeah. um, merging, partnering with, with this group. And they started then, um, doing, you know, exclusively our, our designs and Angela still helps with designs as she has thousands of ideas and has wow. worked with these specific women and, um, has visited multiple times. And so she's invaluable. And then her team is still the production team. So Melissa oversees all of our, all of our production. So she figures out how many bundles of thread we need botanically dyed for the season, because once it's dyed, it's really hard to match the color again. So she does all of those projections and figures out, you know, all of the timing for production. And then we have a woman, Lindsay, who lives in Guatemala and, um, really makes sure that the women are taken care of relationally and, yeah. um, really focuses on kind of the social impact that we're having there. That is so cool. And I love that you guys, just the way that you've taken these connections and really formed really amazing partnerships and you haven't tried to reinvent the wheel, <laughs> you know, and that's so often like what I find from entrepreneurs, especially that work kind of in this, you know, I guess if you want to call it the ethical, sustainable, social good space is... Mm -hmm is how many people talk about just relying on those relationships and those partnerships mm -hmm. and how much more valuable it is. Not that yeah. I don't think, I mean, business to me and good business is all about relationships, but just yeah. how valuable it is in this space mm -hmm. in particular. And I think too, knowing what you bring to the table and what like you shouldn't be doing. Like yes. I, I shouldn't be doing anything that involves like marketing. Like that is not my strong point. Um, I should be doing operations and efficiency. And so finding those, those people and those partners so that we can really maximize what we're doing, because if we're able to run, 
a better business, it means we can employ more people. And yeah. if we can employ more people, that's their families, it's their country. I mean, I think that's how we can we can really make a dent in these like generational like poverty issues that we're trying to tackle. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too for you as a business owner or as an entrepreneur, you know, you were saying that you know, your original background was in chemistry and everything <laughs> in chemistry is very black and white, but if you think about it like business operations is very similar to that. Like it's a very similar kind of black and white. Here's here's how you, you know, <laughs> put the taxes and and, and right. all, you know, salaries and all that kind of stuff whereas like the marketing side is going to be a little bit more fluid, a little bit more creative, a little more, you know, required to be a little bit more like, ah, we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work, then we'll try something different. Totally, totally. And then being able to tell that story well in the midst of it. Yeah. Where I'm like, I I think in terms of spreadsheets, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. (laughs) Makes me a great conversationalist. (laughs) Well, it's so funny because I am definitely more of a obviously I'm more of a creative I mean I was an English major I my brain is not like I was terrible at math growing up my husband still makes fun of me that I do not know my multiplication tables and he he's like didn't you learn those in elementary school I'm like yeah at the time like Right. And then Who I forgot them. Now? I mean, I can I can multiply some basic things, but he'll be like, "What's twelve times nine? I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> "Give me a second, give me a second." Um, for those of you listening, I promise I'm not an idiot. I'm just not good at math. Um, so, <laughs> um, but it's so funny because my husband, you know, so I'm very I'm that left brain. I'm or is it right brain? I don't know. Whatever the creative side of the brain is. Yeah, see, the creatives, we don't know which side it is. It's fine. (laughs) So I'm the very, like, I'm creative. um, But I I, I am organized to a degree. Um, But it's funny because my husband, um, we are both, both my husband and I are left-handed. And so they, you know, it's usually said that, like, left-handed people tend to be a little bit more on the creative side, like, tend to go into leadership roles. Like, there's a weird statistic that something like, over half of U.S. presidents have been left-handed. Really? Yeah. Like, Clinton was left-handed. Um, Obama was left-handed. I'm pretty sure both the Bushes were left-handed. Um, maybe wow. one of them was not. I know uh, W was left-handed. So, but yeah, I mean, like, a lot of presidents were left-handed. Like, a, a lot of actors are left-handed. A lot of musicians are left-handed. It's a very interesting t- statistic yeah. that those types of professions, like, left-handed people dominate. Anyway, so but my husband and I were both left-handed. He is an, a ridiculously talented writer. Like mm-hmm. he totally underestimates himself on how good of a writer he is. Like he was a journalism major, but he's also a financial advisor. Like he is oh, so wow. and he <sighs> loves spreadsheets. Like we have a spreadsheet for everything. <laughs> and he's going to listen to this and just be like giggling <laughs> to himself cuz he really does. Like we have a spreadsheet. Like you name it there's a spreadsheet for it. And yep. if, if he, we get a new idea, he's like, can I create a spreadsheet for it? I'm just like, you do that. You do that, boo. <laughs> um, but my whole point it. in that is, is that like, I'm so jealous of him in that sense because he has sort of that very, um, that black and white mind where he is really good at the operational stuff and he's super organized and all of that. But then he also is really creative. And, Gosh, and I, I know, and I really, I, I envy that, um, you know, but it's, it's so interesting how a lot of entrepreneurs, like they either have the one or the other. Um, mm-hmm. and my point in sharing this was not that my husband has both and look at how awesome he is. Um, 
even though he is, <laughs> he's really great. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's so interesting that, or it's, it's, I think it's a good thing for an entrepreneur to be able to say, okay, here's what I do really well. And mm-hmm. here's what I don't do well. And so here's how I'm going to, you know, here's who I'm going to hire to do the things that I don't do well. And I always tell people like when I teach classes and and stuff like this and speak to other, you know, bloggers and business owners and creatives and stuff, I'm always like hire where it hurts. Like if there is something in your business that hurts you, you are better to spend the money to pay somebody else to do it than you are to, to waste your own time that you can be better, you know, that can be better spent doing something that you're actually good at. Totally. And even if you're not at a point where you can hire surrounding yourself with people like that, like I know, like I think much more like we were talking about in terms of like the COO of a company. And so I meet with um, a woman on Skype that I went to, uh, to college with who lives in San Diego. She runs a nonprofit called Traveling Stories. Her name is Emily Moberly. And she is the like, like she thinks like a CEO. And so she's thinking these like big ideas and we meet once a month. We meet for an hour and we go over our goals for the month and we figure out what they're going to look like. And I make sure that hers are measurable and she makes sure that mine are big enough. And I feel like we work really well in that, that in that way. And so finding out how to surround yourself with people that can really bring that other perspective out that, I mean, as a small business, you're going to have to do it all. Yeah. You know, to some extent. So like how, how to figure out how to manage that really well. I love that, man. Now that now you got me thinking about like, is there anybody that I can do that with? Like, is there any other business owner that I'm friends with that we could do that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I and really, it's so easy. I mean, it yeah. really is. Like, we it's it's a weekly occurring meeting on like the last Friday of the month at the same time, and it's a calendar invite, and like, it doesn't take any time to coordinate. We always make sure we have time for it. Yeah, it's been great. It's oh been my great. Gosh. She's amazing. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I know you are absolutely loving this conversation with Jen, but I want to take a quick break to tell you about this week's sponsor who is helping to make the show possible. Our sponsor today is Sevenly. Sevenly was founded in 2011 with the mission of leading a generation toward generosity. Based on the core belief that people matter, the Sevenly team created a cause art movement consisting of seven-day cause campaigns, inviting customers to purchase advocacy art, apparel, and accessories that donate to nonprofits all over the world. Now widely recognized as one of the world's leading social good companies, to date, Sevenly has given back over $5 million to charities around the world. This holiday season, Sevenly is excited to offer you the opportunity to give back while also giving gifts to your loved ones. Check out their signature collections at sevenly.org and give back to the charity of your choice. You can use the coupon code MOLLY10 for 10% off through the month of November at sevenly.org. That's S-E-V-E-N-L-Y dot O-R-G. And don't forget, if you have not heard my interview with the co-founder of Seven League, Jim Van Erden, you have to go back to episode 53 to hear it. It was one of my favorite episodes to date, and I know you will love it. Now, back to my conversation with Jen. So I wanted to ask you, you kind of mentioned this briefly um, when you, I guess you were talking about when you were looking at, I don't remember exactly, <laughs> I wrote down like my question. So I'm like, I don't remember what context you were talking about it in, but um it, you were talking about the different when you were looking at how to do, you know, approach different models and you were talking about, you know, when do you know 
how much to pay somebody in a particular developing country or how much to, um, you know, to obviously pay artisans versus like maybe leadership or when to do a one for one model or when to donate to clean water. I'd love for you to kind of talk about because for people that are listening that might not necessarily understand why one business in particular, especially in the social good space, might pick a particular model over another. Um, I'd love for you to kind of break down like in your experience, what are the different models and what do they look like? So I feel like um, the best way to maybe talk it through is thinking about our our group specifically in Guatemala. So yeah. I can probably speak best to, to our experience there. I think that's great. Um, and I think so much, so much of it is an individualized response to what the specific women in our in our production team need, um, which does make things really hard to scale, and it makes it hard to even call it a model. Um, so specifically, most of the women that we work with in Guatemala are single mothers, um, and many of them have like five or six children, and some are school-aged and some are not, but if you're, and I, yeah, I don't know how single mothers do it. I'm so impressed with single mothers across the world, but um, specifically in Guatemala where there aren't, you know, a lot of employment opportunities, the, the ability to work from home is everything. I mean, a job has to be done at home because they need to be able to watch over their kids and make sure that they're providing for their kids um, by being at home. And so most of them don't have an opportunity to, to earn an income. And yeah. so because we were, you know, we work with weavers who can weave in their homes. Um, that means they're able to both earn an income and watch, and watch out for their kids. So, That's so, cool. so job creation was something that made a lot of sense. And then with our seamstresses, they have more school-aged kids. So we make sure that they can earn a living wage to cover all of their expenses. Um, and we have kind of a savings program that's set up through a nonprofit that the woman who lives in, in Guatemala, Lindsay, works for as well. So she can really know and see the everyday needs. And so with our seamstresses, because they have school-age kids, they can earn a fair wage within school hours. Um, so they work part-time, and yet they're still able to support themselves and their families. So even even among like our own supply chain between weavers and seamstresses, we have different we have a different model set up based yeah. on what really works for them. And so I think that was probably my biggest takeaway in working with all these different artisan groups when we were kind of um, curating from them is, is seeing that it, it almost has to be a tailored individualistic approach to see what their, what their real needs are. And the biggest question that I get, like I was looking into doing like some sort of incubator. I was like, it would be so great to have some outside help. And, and they're like, sorry, we're not going to take you because we don't see how you can scale. I'm like, okay, that's a fair, like, that's fair. I don't know how we're going to scale either because I know all four of our weavers and yeah, <laughs> I yeah. know their names and I know what they need and that, you know, like we support them and what that looks like. And so I feel like that's the, that's an interesting challenge. I think that a lot of, you know, ethical businesses will need to take. Oh, so, absolutely. you know, we approach that if, if there was a different need that our artisans had besides, I mean, and there are other needs, but besides specifically, um, being able to earn an income around whatever their childcare situation looks like. I think mm-hmm. we might've considered a give back model. We might've considered, you know, providing clean water or whatever that looks like if that was the specific needs of the people that we're working with. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I think that that's, 
that's the general consensus that I get is kind of, yeah, is it, and honestly, that's just kind of the duh, like not in a bad, a bad way, but kind of like yeah. when you're working in this kind of space, you really have to be, if you're going to stick with it, because as you know, and I have a lot yeah. of friends who are business owners, like, as you know, when in time gets tough, like you got to be passionate about it and you got to have a mission and you got to have a purpose and a drive. And mm-hmm. part of that is going to go down to just like doing your due diligence and making sure that whatever decision you make, you know, you're doing it right because you're, you're doing your homework by spending the time with them and identifying mm-hmm. what are the needs and what are, what can we do to come alongside you rather than it being you know, and being a support system rather than it being a handout. You know what I mean? Right. No, exactly. And I think that whenever we choose, you know, at some point I'm sure we'll, we'll expand to another artisan group or there'll be other opportunities knowing that, that we are committed to the people that we're working with, like as in for all of the foreseeable future, which is a huge responsibility, um, that I, that I do take really seriously and, and think that, think that that's real is a really important aspect to, to make sure that we can take on that commitment. And so yeah. sometimes that means saying, saying no to large wholesale orders, because if we grew just for a season, but couldn't sustain it to the next season, that's not, that doesn't fit in with the mission of, of long-term job employment. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so kind of making those tough decisions along the way to figure out how to grow in a way that's, that is really responsible. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, so I love to ask this question and I'd love for you to just kind of share what has your, you know, as somebody who started out with chemistry, um, and (laughs) here you are running an ethical business at the end of the day, you know, when you really think about what drives you and what motivates you to run this business and, and push through the hard times and celebrate the successes and, you know, scream from the rooftops when you get the wins and want to punch a wall when you hit the, when you hit the, the tough times, like what is it that is your ultimate why? What is your drive and what what motivates you to get up every day and do what you do? You know, I think I think the best way to describe it would be to say like <laughs> this might sound like a downer but like it could have just as easily been me. Like mm-hmm. I could have been born in Guatemala. I could have mm-hmm. been born in, in Ethiopia. I could it could have been me. Like there's I don't see any difference between myself and, you know, Sylvia, one of our seamstresses, like oftentimes some of them are even the same age as me. And, and I think that there is a responsibility that comes with, with the privilege of being born in the United States with the privilege of having parents that made sure I got an education and had opportunities to have jobs. And, and I think, um, yeah, I guess I take that responsibility really seriously mm-hmm. in the same way that I would that I would hope that if I were in that other situation that someone who'd been given, you know, had just been so blessed, you know, would be able to to in turn kind of be a blessing to others. And so I think that's really the impetus of what I mean, it feels it sounds so heavy to say it feels like a responsibility, no. but if it wasn't this, it you know, I mean, even looking back when I was working with the homeless, if I was tutoring like I made sure it was a low income school, like just really making sure that that I'm able to bless to bless others because I have been given so much. And it's the luck of the draw. Like there's no reason why I should be why I should be so blessed. I love that. And you reminded me of so I saw a um so you know Sevenly, the organization. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they great. have um they have a t shirt that I just ordered. <laughs> 
<laughs> that um, has like basically it's got this it's really awesome it looks pretty BA if you know what I mean um, but it's got this like bald eagle on it and then um, kind of like this American flag but it says freedom is the responsibility of everyone Mm. And it, oh wow! I loved I like that. that, and I, um, you know, I think it that in one in particular goes back or benefits um, both a, a veterans organization and there's mm. also um, an anti human trafficking organization that it benefits. Um, yeah, and I, I, mm. it, it was one of those that I saw it and I was like, man, I don't think I've ever thought of it like that. Of mm. that freedom is the responsibility of everyone, and the fact that mm. our role as Americans, the fact that we were born into this country, but when we think about, and I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm getting political or anything like that, but when we were born into a country, we think about like, what did our ancestors look like? Who are the people that came here? They came here in search of, you know, new life or whatever. Like my, my ancestors are Irish. So my both, like both sides of my family came from Ireland and they were coming you know, in search of new life and freedom. And they were, they were looking to better themselves. And so I think about that, like, I'm really passionate about ethical fashion because I, like you, like, I want to know the names and the stories of the people that make my stuff. And I'm really passionate about ending human trafficking because I, I think about these kids and I see so many, you know, women and, and children and men who are being forced into, you know, labor trafficking or sex trafficking. And, you know, these are kids Mm -hmm. that are no, you know, some of them are as young as my daughter. And some of them are, they're, they're me. And I, Mm -hmm. I get it. Some people are really passionate about animal rights or some people are really passionate about the earth. Like for me, it's about people. Like I'm passionate about people and I want, I want people to be known and loved and seen. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to sound all fluffy, but it's, (laughs) It's it's true, and that's so. I I very much connect with your why because that for me is very similar. Is I I see myself in in those people and the artisans that I meet in different countries, and I connect yeah. with them. And their their moms, their wives, their friends, their sisters, their daughters. Like they just they were handed a different set of circumstances. So yeah. why are why am I any better just because I'm here in the United States? Mm-hmm. They're no different. Exactly. And then, yeah. And because of that, then I, I believe we're called then to, to serve them in any yeah. way that we can and see what, and figure out what that looks like. And I think that looks, that looks really different for a, a lot of people. I mean, for my husband, it means, you know, working really hard at his job so we can be generous financially. And, you know, yeah. I mean, there's like, there's so many different ways to do that. It doesn't have to necessarily look like, you know, starting a company. It doesn't, yeah. It is, yeah, it doesn't have to look certain ways, but I, yeah, I think it's that just even recognizing that, that we're connected and that, yeah, just the, the human factor of the things that we buy, that we eat, that we, yeah. Yeah. With. Yeah. And, and I, I feel a personal responsibility to just help educate people. And I always say this, mm-hmm. I say this on the show, I say it to my friends, I say it to my family, like, I don't ever want to make anybody feel bad. I don't ever want to come off as preachy, anything like that. Yeah. Like, I just feel a responsibility to help educate people on, mm-hmm. like, just for people to know that, like, your purchase really, really <laughs> does make a difference. Like, it really yeah. does. And so, I mean, I give this example of, so this past spring, um, my friend Carly and I had, like, one like a just a 
dream, I mean, this was a life dream for me, pleasure of we designed a clothing line with Elegantes. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, it was one of the coolest experiences ever. It was so much fun. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, like, yes, we, we got to design clothes and it was like a dream come true. It was so much fun. And the, it, you know, the photo shoot was fun. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm actually, I'm wearing one of my shirts right now. Like I, I genuinely love it. And it was so much fun. But when Katie, so Katie Martinez, who's the founder of Elegant Tees, she emailed me and Carly one day and she said, because of this line, we were just able to hire two more seamstresses. Oh, wow. And so, and if, if you are listening and you have not listened to the episode with Katie Martinez, you can go back into the archives. I've, I've had her on the show before, but what Elegant Tees does is they rescue women out of, who have been in human trafficking and they give them a job and an opportunity to, to redeem their lives and their families and, and so much. And so- it, it wasn't just a, a clothing line that was cute and affordable. It was a clothing line that literally impacted the lives of two women. Yeah. And so, you know, but I was, so I was telling people like the more that you bought, like your purchase buying one shirt from Elegant Tees, like it really can add up to be able to hire even more seamstresses. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so powerful. No, it really is. And I think you do a really excellent job of making sure that it it's not the the judgy or the feel bad or the or even the the, the shame around it, but that yeah. it's like we're celebrating these opportunities yes. that we have. And that's why I love that, yeah, you're highlighting all these different types of businesses if it's, you know, the hounds with the Oxford shirts yeah. or I mean, I it's it's such a great way to even learn so that in my mind I can think, oh, I'm looking for this. I want, you know, I wonder what exists and what, what good I could do. Cause I'm already purchasing it. Like right. what additional good that I could do. So yeah, your podcast has been such a great, um, and your blog. Yeah. Your oh, blog is you. a great resource I really so that it that. can be fun still. Like yeah. we can still enjoy, yeah. Enjoy the process, which I think is, is, is super important. And I really appreciate that vibe that you bring to the ethical oh, fashion world. Thank you. And that's honestly, that's something I really that's what I try to do because I do feel like, and I don't mean, again, I don't, I, I'm always careful when I say this because I don't want to sound bad when I say this, but I feel like a lot of people in this space are kind of judgy. <laughs> they, they make yeah. me sad. And I just want to be like, do you need a hug? Like, <laughs> come on, this can be fun. Why, why are we making this seem sad and judgy? Yes. Like, I get it. There's bad things in the world and I want to talk about those things and I don't want to ignore those things, but there's a there's a way to reach people for this. And there is by telling somebody that they're going to H-E double hockey sticks because they bought <laughs> something from Old Navy. That is not doing anything. Yes, That's not helping. I some quote once and now I can't remember. I was at a talk and I can't remember the details of it. But um, I want to say he was maybe a, a marriage counselor. But yeah. his his comment that really stuck with me was that growth happens in compassion. Mm. And I like want that on a t-shirt. Yes. You know, like that's when, that's when I'm going to grow. That's when you're going to grow when it feels like a safe place to explore and ask questions and not wonder if someone's going to beat you over the head with something. If you buy something from old Navy, but that it's part of this journey and we're all on part of the journey. I mean, one day I will need to, most likely like replace my car. I don't know how to buy an ethical car. Like, I don't know that that exists. <laughs> like it's all part of the journey. And so yeah. giving both yourself that compassion as well as other people in wherever you are on that journey, I think is, is where growth is going to happen. Oh, completely. Oh yeah. It's so, it's so hard. And I, I'm laughing at myself. Yes. I just said H-E double hockey sticks here on my, <laughs> on my like, 
oh, oh well, whatever. It's my show. <laughs> I can do what I want. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. No, I and I'm, it's it's been actually really fun too because you know my husband is. Um, I feel like I talk about my husband all the time. It's because he's so great. Um, but it, it's been funny for him, too, as he's kind of come along with me in this journey of because before, I mean, my husband is not the kind of guy who buys things ever. <laughs> he, uh, like he his idea of spending money is like going to Home Depot to like buy something to improve the house. Like that's what he will spend money on. Other than that, like he is he does not shop and he like his jeans when we I mean when we got married he still owned the shirt the polo shirt that he took his high school senior picture in and I was like babe I love you this has to go like this is this looks like this looks like the upholstery on a grandma's couch like this is not why do you own this shirt you know what I mean like like, and he has he literally has t-shirts that he wears that are older than me like that wow. from the 80s and I'm like why do you have this shirt um <laughs> but he loves them I mean he'd so I mean, and I applaud that to him like he is the epitome of the person who buys something and he wears mm-hmm. it until it cannot be worn anymore mm-hmm. um so for a while like he was he had I think a little bit of a harder time when I was really being more mindful with my purchases and being willing to spend to buy less but spend a little bit more if that makes sense mm-hmm. and yeah. but he's now come come over he he understands he gets <laughs> he gets it now and so like he desperately desperately needs a new pair of shorts and in the past like he would just go to old navy and he would just buy some shorts but now right. like he's willing to be patient and like let me help him you know find mm-hmm. some shorts and like so we ordered some shorts from I think like Prana and somewhere else and and you know he had some come in and they just weren't right so I'm like I'll mail them back we'll keep shopping you know right right <laughs> so, so he, get a pair that you love yes and so you can wear for the rest of your for life for the rest of your life because this this will probably be the last pair of shorts he ever buys and so I mean, <laughs> You know, so but I it it does it takes it takes time. It's a it's a learning curve. It's a complete and it's a complete mindset shift too. Like mm-hmm. it, it does it take it takes work. So if you're, but and and honestly, this is coming from somebody who I used to just spend and I used to buy things and go to the mm-hmm. mall just for the sake of going to the mall and I would just sure. buy things because I thought it was a cute shirt and I'd wear it once and then get rid of it. So. I had to really do some changing in my own habits and that's been for a lot of reasons, but in any event, yeah. I think, I think it, I, I do think it's important to be able to start having those conversations with people and, and yeah, not mm-hmm. beat people up if they, you know, if they live their life differently than you, like that's, that's what, that's the beauty of America. We're free. Right. free to and make that we all choices. have, we have different things that we're passionate about and different focuses and, and that's okay. And I can learn from other people and they can learn from me and yeah. The other thing I was thinking too is how, how, I don't know. I'm thinking like how inconvenient that shopping in the ethical fashion world is. And yet like how much it's grown over the last few years. I know you had one of the co-founders of done good. Yes. And I like shout out to done good. I feel like they make ethical shopping so much easier because of their Google Chrome extension that it can just pop up where I'm already look, I'm already on Amazon and they're giving me these great options. Like, I can't wait to to continue to see how they grow and how other companies pop up to make it to where it's the no brainer idea. It's just as easy. It's just as fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of lowers some of those 
some of those friction points that, that do make it difficult so that, yeah, so that hopefully it can be, it doesn't have to be the like, do a day's worth of research to find, especially menswear, but to find, yeah. to find whatever that thing is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where where the industry is going to go. For oh, sure. me too. Me too. And um, I don't want to, I'm going to tease something a little bit um, because I don't want to get too much into it in this episode because I actually um, am going to have one of your apprentices on the show in a couple of weeks. So um, for those of you listening, so uh, person question, I'll let you kind of just explain very briefly what it is. And then um about the person clutch apprenticeship and um, I'm actually going to have one of your actual apprentices on the show to kind of talk about her experience and all of that so I'm really excited about that so I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gently teasing it for those of you to get excited to, for that episode but yeah so can you tell us real quick what that is and um, when you started it yeah I'm super excited that she's gonna be on too, yeah. By the way. Um, so, so yeah such a fun connection so I started the apprenticeship again as an accident. That seems to be like what what I do. Um, there was another ethical company that was was maybe closing shop over the summer, and she had interns that were coming from out of town. And so there was this girl Jordan who was finishing up school, and and you know basically she asked like, hey, could I just intern from you? I'm already coming to Austin, for, you know, for the summer. And I was like, well, I can figure out an internship, sure. Yeah. Like, that sounds fun. That sounds businessy. Like, let's, let's, you know, pursue it and see what it looks like. As usual, started doing a bunch of research and realized that unpaid internships are not ethical. And that oftentimes, you know, it's just another way of people getting exploited. And so I looked into it and kind of looked at alternatives and really fell in love with this apprenticeship model where it's much more like, let me show you and teach you what I do which is really, it, it's teaching, which is funny because after teaching high school, I was like, I think I'm done teaching. Yeah. <laughs> and then in grad school, I ended up teaching leadership courses and was like, oh my gosh, how am I, like, how do I keep getting thrown back into this teaching world? And so really the apprenticeship program grew from there where I kind of developed a curriculum. It's eight to 10 weeks of, you know, focusing each week on a different aspect of social business and, um, you know, everything from what is fair trade and why does it matter to like e-commerce 101 yeah. and exploring the differences between like a brick and mortar because we just opened a brick and mortar shop here in Austin versus so awesome. like selling online and wholesale. And basically it's just like, it's my brain dump. Like here's all the things that I've been learning. Like if you want to start your own company, like instead of starting it I don't know, from scratch and having to do all the research I did because I do tend to keep track of all those things, like start, you know, start five steps in so that hopefully that means we can have, you know, more and more of these really great companies popping up. So, um, been doing that for probably four, four years and then decided that it, it does take a lot of my time and that time becomes more and more scarce. Yeah. Um, yeah. sadly, I don't know if that just happens when you get older or, or what's happened yeah. in my life. Um, but realizing that, you know, and I was having to turn down people who were amazing fits that like would have been great. Cause really it's, I meet with them on Skype for, you know, t you know, two hours a week. And then they do lots of like hands-on pro uh, projects throughout the week. And I just was running out of time. And so decided to go ahead and start, um, start an e-course. And so developed it into an e-course and we just launched that. We have our first cohort starting, Actually, they started last week, and so um, I'm excited to be able to kind of reach reach more people and hopefully support more socially conscious businesses in the process. 
So cool. Well, I I just think it's awesome, and I love that you're willing to just share your knowledge and um, and it's it goes back to that whole community over competition mindset mm-hmm. of just of the more people that are doing good in this space, the better. It's not about it's yep. not about you know competing with each other. It's about let's come together and and do this so we can really make a positive impact. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. It's been so fun. That's awesome. Well, Jen, I, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for just for your heart and for your sharing your story and everything. Um, for those that are listening that want to connect with you, learn more about person clutch, how can they do that? Um, well, you can email me directly at Jen one in at personclutch.com or check out our website, which is personclutch.com. And I'm pretty sure in all of our social media channels, we're just at personclutch spelled out. So try to keep it straightforward and, and easy to find, but yeah, happy to connect and happy to share resources as, as needed for sure. So awesome. Well, thank you so much. It has been so much fun having you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Okay, seriously, how many business owners did you raise your hand and say, yep, yep, that was me when you thought, am I an entrepreneur or am I just unemployed? I'm pretty sure I've thought that a lot of times over the years, but it was just so encouraging to hear Jen share her struggles, her honesty, but also her passion for what she does for a living. I absolutely adored her. So be sure to give her some love and be sure to let her know how this episode impacted you and be sure to support Person Clutch because man, they make gorgeous, gorgeous products. As always, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring so many amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out, and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you are subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. Reviews also help to show other potential listeners what the show is all about. And if you decide to share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag business with purpose podcast or tag me at still being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Sevenly. Don't forget to use that coupon code MOLLY10 for 10% off through November at sevenly.org. That's S-E-V-E-N-L-Y dot O-R-G. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose. Purpose.